Hello, Rapids fans. You are listening to Holding the High Line with Rabbi and Red. It is late on Monday, October 17th, 2022. I'm recording this just after the full-time whistle, I'll say end of penalties for FC Dallas versus Minnesota United, which FC Dallas won on penalties. Um, no rabbi this week. I have given him the week off as obviously we are still in off-season mode in covering the Colorado Rapids. There are two bits of MLS news that I do want to get to, and then we have another very special interview coming up in a few moments. But first, let's talk MLS Cup playoffs. Uh, Rapids fans, you can breathe a massive sigh of relief as Austin FC defeated Real Salt Lake in the opening round on Sunday. It took penalties after RSL got out to a 2-0 lead, and then Austin clawed their way back. There was a red card RSL early on in the second half they played I think what was it over 60 minutes uh down a man uh ultimately and then Brad Stuver came up big in penalties so overall I want to say a successful opening round of the playoffs in terms of what Rapids fans would have wanted three former Rapids managers all go out in the first round Oscar Pereja with Orlando lost 1-0 to Montreal and then Gary Smith who was sick and sidelined uh, he was not on the sideline for Nashville versus LA Galaxy former Rapids assistant and Nashville assistant Steve Guppy was in the technical area for that game a 1-0 victory for the LA Galaxy so Rapids fans you can rest easy no Seattle MLS Cup no former Rapids manager seeing a whole lot of success and I would imagine other than maybe the two LA teams and I guess maybe you could throw an NYCFC just because they're defending champions and you know they have the city football group behind them I think those would be the only three teams left that I think Rapids fans would be really upset or you know would would be actively rooting against Uh, let me know on Twitter if you disagree or if you have a whole hierarchy of teams that you are rooting for as a neutral or certainly rooting against as a neutral but the obviously the big one is Real Salt Lake is out Pablo Mastroeni's side played all of one more game the Colorado Rapids between MLS regular season and postseason so that is good to know and then earlier today also the MLS Players Association uh, released the finalized salary numbers for the 2022 season that would include any contract updates that we would have seen during the season as well as any new signings into Major League Soccer. And so there's three that I want to touch on when it comes to the Rapids. First, we already knew this number because he was a homegrown with Toronto FC, but now as a member of the Colorado Rapids, we know that Ralph Prizzo's uh, annual guaranteed compensation is just under $90,000, That's pretty typical for a homegrown. You can see MLS rookies and maybe first-year homegrowns make anywhere from sixty-five dollars to 
to say 75k and i think there's even a handful of homegrowns that are making just over a hundred thousand dollars a year so no big deal on that one no big surprise um ralph prizofi's making similar to that in 2023 and it takes these steps forward that we have seen other young players make with the Rapids after they prove themselves individually to Robin Frazier and this coaching staff are well worth the amount that they're getting paid as homegrowns. And then the two additions to the Colorado Rapids are Felipe Gutierrez, obviously on loan from CD Universidad Católica. He had a guaranteed compensation of $569,250. That puts him at the one, two, three, four, five, sixth highest paid player on the Colorado Rapids. That number is pro-rated folks. So if Felipe Gutierrez's contract based on when he signed with the Rapids and how long he was with the team through the calendar of the regular season, he would have made was he a member of the Rapids for the entire year. So that puts him just under $600,000 for comparison. He's making slightly less than Diego Rubio, and he's making noticeably more than Jonathan Lewis or um, Colbass's contract with the Rapids, obviously loaned to Fortuna Sittard. Um, I think that's a really good value, if I'm being honest with you. You know, um, you know, Universidad Católica are three-time defending champions in the Chilean Domestic League. They play in Santiago, obviously the big city in Chile, and, you know, Felipe Gutierrez is a veteran player, proven in internationally um you know and obviously a world cup veteran with the with the chilean national team so i would imagine all of that he would be paid accordingly with his pedigree as a player and i'm not sure how much of the contract that he has with Catolica is getting picked up by the Rapids in that loan amount. But um, in any case, I thought that was really good value for what he gave during his time with the Rapids if he were to do that over the course of a 34 game season. You know, I imagine a you know, old man, veteran midfield of him and Jack Price in a double pivot. And you're talking about the two of them combined for a 34 game season getting paid somewhere around $1.3 million. I think those are two really good value contracts. And if the Rapids could get him back at that number, and I'll throw out the conversation of needing to give up a a transfer fee to the Chilean club, you know, I I think that would be really, really good value. So I don't have any complaints about the amount that um, Felipe Gutierrez uh, was getting paid by the Rapids for the amount of time that he's here and the amount of value that he brought to the club. <clears throat> and then the second new player, obviously, was Sam Nicholson returning to the club in July and his guaranteed compensation for the year uh, prorated for the year uh, would have been $335,313 for reference point folks. That's roughly $7,000 less than he made for the calendar year of 2019. I think that number similarly is reasonable. I know some fans were saying that was a little high because of nostalgia or because of the amount of production that he had or lack thereof coming back to the Rapids, but obviously for bringing Sam Nicholson back at or around that same value in 2023, if Sam does in 2023 what I was predicting and expecting for him in 2020 before COVID, and I looked this up the other day, I wanted him getting roughly five goals, seven assists, so we'll say 10 goal contributions for, you know, $330,000, so 33 k per goal contribution, I think would be fantastic, and obviously, again, 
great value. You know, I think it was in 2017, um, Dylan Powers was making right around the amount that Sam Nicholson was. And there was a lot of hooting and hollering about, um, you know, what was Pablo Mastroeni not seeing given the issues in the midfield that season, given how poor the team had been playing. And or has it just come down to Dylan Powers just wasn't good enough and was on a contract that you know, was, um, you know, way too much money for a guy who was languishing on the bench. And at that time in MLS with where the salary budget and the rules and everything were at, you couldn't have a guy making 300, 400K sitting on the bench and not being at least your first super sub at his position. And now with how much the, you know, the roster has expanded and how much money is also in there, you can have a role player that's making 300, 400K and it's really no big deal if they're contributing in some way. You know, if Sam Nicholson is the fourth most significant attacker on the Rapids next season at 300K, that's absolutely great value. So um, for the, you know, updated salary that we, salary numbers that we got and everything, um, you know, I thought Felipe Gutierrez was, you know, a pleasant surprise in terms of the value given how much he was making. Not too surprised at Sam Nicholson's number overall, and I still think, you know, him coming back to MLS, getting reused to that, used to the nuances and changes that's come from the team and everything, if he does in 2023 what I was expecting from him in 2020, um, I think, again, that'll be great value. And obviously, Ralph Prizzo with the potential that I think is absolutely there and ways that he could take steps forward from next year compared to this past year. Absolutely, he's going to be, you know, a, a, a homegrown bargain for that. So that was the big news in Major League Soccer, both as far as the playoffs are concerned and stuff that is actually relevant to the Colorado Rapids. And so with that, uh, here is my interview with Marcella Babo. We sat down Wednesday of last week, similar to my conversation a couple pods ago with Richard Fleming. We talk on a wide-ranging number of subjects. We talk about his playing career. We talk about him getting into media. Um, Cello does not hold back. He is his authentic self. Uh, I should point out, folks, that there are two bits of profanity during this conversation. Both of them are bleeped, but I just want to let you know that that is coming. Um, So Cello doesn't hold back in terms of his opinions on Every little thing that we discuss, he's very open. He's very vulnerable. Um, both he and Richard Fleming, folks, in the, you know the hour that I sat down with each of them individually, were their authentic selves. And the only difference was from this conversation to all the other ones that I had is that we weren't interrupted by the start of a game or somebody needing to get a. Um, get an interview done, and there was a a record button on as well. So without further ado, here is my wonderful conversation with Marcella Balboa. Listeners, we, um, you know, see you in a couple weeks, depending on whether or not I get one more interview that I'm hoping to get, or at the very least, Rabbi and I will podcast when there's something off-season news related to discuss as far as the Colorado Rapids. And here you go, my conversation with the legend, Marcella Balboa. That is a background you have. I, uh, you know, <clears throat> I try to do it right, my friend. Yeah. Are those are those official? Are those game worn? I can't tell you that. Okay. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. This was a practice game. This isn't the official, but this was a practice game before the World Cup. That's mm-hmm. the 94. Okay. Four, and this is one when I retired, when I was a broadcaster that they gave me. So... Okay, the one on the the stonewashed denim. What game is that from? May I ask? Oh, that was on the tell you. 
Okay. The, the World Cup ones, remember, we played a few exhibition games. Okay. So, yeah, those are just exhibition games. The World Cup ones would have um, the World Cup ones would have the game right in the middle of it. So, okay. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah, I keep those. I keep all the official, we'll say, uh-huh. the official jersey, jersey ones in a uh, nice safety deposit box. Okay. Somewhere. I will not be asking you where that one is, just so we're Yeah, we're you won't get an answer out of that one. So. <laughs> okay. So I, uh, Omar told me that you were, you've been a little bit busy this week. How are you this busy and it's the offseason? Um, there's no off season, bro. There is no uh, off season. Between uh, coaching, remember I coached seven coaches in the U14 Rapids Academy for the last seven years. Mm-hmm. We train Tuesday to basically Friday, play games Saturday, or play games Saturday Sunday. <clears throat> I leave on Friday to do two playoff games for Univision. Mm-hmm. So I and then during this time of year, a lot of people from. Uh, different areas want to do interviews leading up to the World Cup and stuff like that. So it's it keeps me it keeps me busy. I like it. All right, I'm glad I got you. Glad I got you early before the really uh, good You know, I apologize. I, I had time earlier, and then I still have to do a podcast for a dude in Spain. So I've been <laughs> just trying to you know what it is. I was just trying to finish out the Rapids TV seasons, and so then I uh-huh. can just kind of you know what I mean chill out. Okay. A- apology absolutely accepted. No, so. no, no, no. It's like I said, I, I'm glad we were able to get it, it, at least get it done. Yeah, no. I'm I'm really going to – I know we'll, we'll get into this in a little bit. I don't think you're leaving the club in its entirety. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's not like you're moving out of Colorado or anything, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to interact with you, with you as much next year, and I'm going to miss that. Yeah, me too. You know what I mean? But I don't think – I think people – unfortunately don't know the truth about what's going on people are like oh you guys are leaving the club i'm like no apple's taking over so we mm-hmm. can go through that so people don't freak out like richard richard's got the woes me right now yeah you know what i mean and i'm like uh-huh. still maybe around possibly doing the digital stuff who knows you know what I mean? okay yeah uh, yeah <clears throat> all right well let's get into it i've always been curious we haven't talked too much about Liga MX when it's been you and I, you know, shooting the stuff or anything, except for when it's been usually it's around Club Leon doing something good and you wanting to talk up that you played in Liga MX. I am getting used to watching. I don't have a team yet, but I watch them, you know, semi regularly. I obviously watch the Mexican teams in Champions League. And I think a lot of people think about MLS vis-a-vis Liga MX and they don't realize that's much more of a moving target than, say, any of the leagues in Europe. As someone who played in the mid-90s, you know, how good was it? And I guess let's focus on quality of play and then comparing it to the start of Major League Soccer. Listen, I don't... When I played, it was a different era. Okay, the most of the national team players all played in Mexico. They, I would say, ninety-five percent of them played for either Club America, Cruz Azul, Chivas. So anytime you went into Mexico City, they had the advantage because everybody played in Liga Mekis. You know, the criticism when I was when I was getting ready to go over there was like, oh, the league's slow. It's slow moving. Well, I learned the hard way. My first game was against Club America, and I got eaten up alive. And it wasn't my best debut. So I played okay, but you don't realize the speed of play. And because one is, you see it on TV, but the altitude kind of gets to you. And my first game was in Azteca. It was thick grass, smog. And uh, you, you get, it took me probably five games, four or five games. The next game was at home and I played better. But it's a very technical league. It was all of the national team players from from Mexico played in that league. 
along with Gustavo de Soti, who played for the Argentine national. If you go out through that era of national team players that were playing in Mexico, uh, you had Tab with U.S., you had Mike Sorber, myself, Clay Coyman. So it was uh, it was a different league than it is now. Now um, it's still a very competitive league. It's very good. But the national team players are doing what we're doing, what our national team players are doing. Mm-hmm. They're going overseas. <clears throat> so, and again, listen, we, we've closed the gap a little bit, which has been great. We finally won our first Champions League here in MLS. So, but it, it's it's a com- very competitive league. And uh, they have a little bigger budget than most uh, MLS teams do. That's why you see Club America always towards the top, Cruz Azul, Chivas, you see Puebla or Pachuca. So, but it, it's 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 better than what people think. The problem is, is we're so used to when you put on the TV, the first thing you see is Champions League. You see the EPL. You know, you mm-hmm. see the Bundesliga. So it's, it, it takes a little time to get used to Liga Mekis. Did you feel, even though you were a native Spanish speaker and of Argentinian descent, did you feel, did you receive or notice any discrimination because you were an American? Um, one, um, yeah, I struggled <clears throat> my Spanish initially. It, it's gotten better throughout the years because my first language has been English. I came to the United States and we learned English. And I struggled in school balancing both. I mean, I was, I'll be honest with you, I was in special ed classes because I couldn't figure out the English, the Spanish, the reading, and a lot of things. I had a lot of trouble in school. The only thing that, uh, that I survived, that helped me survive was soccer. If Mm -hmm. I didn't have a C average, I couldn't play. So I struggled quite a bit, but, uh, it's, um, yeah, we'll just say it's, it's been, uh, it's been, and I guess when you when you listen to dad and you say, dad, you know, at home, he would say, speak Spanish, speak Spanish, mm-hmm. or I'm not listening to you. So I'd speak English and he'd just walk around the house like <laughs> I was cast to the friendly ghost. He wouldn't pay mm-hmm. attention to me. He wouldn't do anything. So being a native American that, that's learned Spanish, um, it's still not great, but uh I have learned to manage it well enough and have gotten better to be able to uh, to communicate somewhat decently with most people. Mm-hmm. April of 1993, you tear a knee ligament against Iceland, and a year later, you are starting in the World Cup. How does, with the level of technology and sports science we had in the early 90s, the human body achieve that? Um, you know, determination. I'll be honest with you. Um, it was, I think it was like seven fifteen. we were playing Iceland at Orange Coast College. Uh, first time they allowed a player bore, allowed a player to be mic'd up. So I had a microphone, a microphone pack. And you remember the packs were huge back then. <laughs> I had this belt around my waist and they strapped it on. I had a camera right on me and I just remember stepping back and I remember my leg just giving out and I heard a loud pop. And, uh, you know, initially I was like, hmm, you know, screaming. I was yelling. I didn't swear because I have it on tape. I didn't swear. <laughs> but everything possible. I had burning in my knee. The doctor looked at my knee and he says, let's, I think you're fine. Let's go off. Let's get you off the field and into the locker room. So I went into the locker room and the doctor's like, I didn't want to tell you. He goes, you tore your ACL right in the locker room. And uh, I remember walking into the shower, just crying, um, tears everywhere. I thought my dream was over. 
I thought my dream to wear this jersey right here, man. I thought that dream was over to play in a World Cup and to represent my country, to play in something special because not a lot of players get to play in a World Cup in their own country. So um, it basically came down to the doctor told me 12 months, you know, we can accelerate it. So I remember at that time I saw a thing on Paul Gascoigne. He tore his ACL and he was back, I believe, in seven or eight months. He had a few setbacks, but he was doing biking. So I saw this video, VHS, if you guys know what that is, it's a VHS. Yeah. I put it in and they showed him training and they showed him out on the grass riding his bike because being on the grass, the resistance would help you. So I had surgery. Um, they fixed my meniscus. They fixed my ACL and my target was six months. And the doctor's like, chill, um, did everything, struggled. I went through depression. I went through not wanting to get out of bed. Um, there were so many emotions in that first six weeks. I couldn't do anything. And the only reason, to be honest, the only reason I, I was able to play in that World Cup was uh, Rudy Rudowski. He was the athletic trainer who pushed me. And if it wasn't for Fernando Clavijo, Fernando, I remember one day sitting in bed and I wasn't moving for anything. I was just horrible. And uh, Fernando walked in. He says, get the F up. He goes, I'm not going to the World Cup without you, and you're not going to do this. You're not going to lay in bed every day. So get your ass out of bed, and we're going to practice. Excuse language. You can edit that out. Yes. But uh, that's basically the conversation he had, and uh, he literally dragged me out of bed. He, he's the reason why I played in that World Cup. If mm -hmm. it wasn't for him doing that, I'm not sure I would have made it. Um, I didn't have the... We, we were in, a, in, in Mission Viejo. The, the support system wasn't great. Everybody was fighting to make their team. And then, you know, there was one other motivation that got me when I told Fernando that I heard two of the coaches basically say, um, you know, we need to move on from Marcelo. He's not going to make the World Cup. He's not going to make it back in time. He's not going to this. We need to move on. And when I heard that, I was like, all right, game on. I'm like, let's go. I told Fernando, let's go. So. Practice in the morning, therapy in the morning, afternoon bike ride, therapy again in the, in the afternoon morning, night bike ride every day for six months. And I came back so quick that the doctor's like, we're not going to let you play. I'm like, why not? He goes, we've never had, you, you just went through ACL. You just went through a meniscus tear. We're not sure it's, it's safe for you to play. So I said, fine. They let me train. So I started training with a brace on. I started training and training. And uh, I was ready to play in a game. I believe it was eight months. And still, Bohr wouldn't let me play. Bohr wouldn't take me to Seattle because we were playing a game on turf. Nope. So he finally let me play against Sweden. And what a mistake that was because I was awful. I was horrible that game. But little by little, it came back. And uh, I remember sitting there the night before the World Cup. And Bohr put his arm around me and told me I was starting that I was finally at a point where he felt comfortable that I could start in the first World Cup game. And, man, it was a blessing. It was a blessing. So, But that was that's a little bit of my story. Mm -hmm. You're not 
Every, pretty much every single, I feel like in interviews, every single player from that 94 squad is willing to acknowledge Tab was the best player and it was not particularly close. And I'm curious, you know, he takes that elbow from Leonardo against Brazil. And, you know, I mean, he's commented on very briefly, you know, at least just the one thing that'll say is like he felt like he was going to die. And then he glad he was glad that he was able to make recovery. How good was Tab? How good could Tab have been? Um, I think Tab was good already. Um. They just happened to, you know, in that game, and I talked to Bebeto, and I, after, not after the game, but a few years later, after that game, and he was telling me that there was one game that they were a little nervous to play, and that was our game, and I'm like, yeah, whatever, you're just saying that, He's like, no, he goes, we didn't know anything about you guys, well, you didn't have any big name players besides like a nerdy store, maybe Roy Wagley was the biggest name player we had on the field. Because he played in the EPL. I mean, tell me who else was playing in a big league Europe tab. And uh, and he told me that that was probably the one game they were nervous. They weren't sure what to expect because we were going to fight for 90 minutes. But to me, um, hands down, between Tab and John Harks, and we were missing both. Harks, he got a yellow card, so he was suspended against, uh, for the, in the Romania game, be suspended against Brazil. Now you take out our next best player. Um, you could give a tab the ball anywhere on the field within traffic. He'll find a way out. Mm-hmm. He was that explosive. He was that intelligent. And when they took him out, man, we, it was tough. Cause we're now we're like, okay, what do we do? You know, we had quality players. We had Kobe, we had Hugo Perez came into the game. We had other guys in the game, but tab was that game changer for us. And when they took him out, you know, it, 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 it got us a little fired up because it wasn't a, it wasn't a, okay, I'm trying to get away. He threw the elbow. He maliciously, Leonardo went to hurt somebody, but I'll be honest with you, man, Matt, it never felt like they played with 10. Mm-hmm. It never felt like Brazil had 10 players on the field, the way they moved the ball, the way they knocked it around, the way they got into spaces. And uh, we thought, okay, you know, worst case scenario, we can take them into overtime, maybe get into a penalty kick and see what happens. And if you go back to that game, we made one mistake. We allowed Brazil to penetrate right down the middle of the field, duly missed the tackle. I've got to kind of step up to slow down. Uh, It was, uh, I think it was Romario. I have to slow him down. But Beto peels off, uh, peels off Lexi and he puts in the back of the net. And that's the one mistake against the best team in the world. It cost us maybe taking them to extra time, maybe going to penalties. But uh, one mistake against 10 players cost us the next bid. But by far, if you look at that team, Tab was our best player. Tab mm-hmm. was the, the – I mean, he was a golden boy when you talked about uh, skill, speed, um, just the ability. It was like Velcro on his foot. Mm-hmm. I'm too young to where I don't I, I remember watching the World Cup. I don't remember, you know, I was four years old. I don't remember tactics or anything. I remember yeah. Alexi's face. I don't remember any of the names at the time or anything. I couldn't have told couldn't have told you his name or his number if you asked me in 1995. So in my getting into the media space, I've kind of gone back and like re-educated myself yep. on everything that's happened with the national team. Um I'll say you can keep it PG. What's the weirdest memory you have from Copa America ninety-five? Um God, that's a, that's a, there was a lot of, a a lot of weird things happen leading into that World Cup. We almost didn't play. Mm -hmm. We almost didn't play the first game against Chile because we all sat 
at a point where we needed to be treated fairly and be treated. We've done a lot at that point. Uh, we did well in the 94 World Cup. The bonuses and the structure of how they were going to pay us was not good. So we went into the first game, I think it was against Chile, and we trained uh, maybe once, twice leading into that game because we were not going to step on the field until that was rectified. And then, um, you know, when when you have a group of players that have been to play playing for a while together, I don't think you need a lot of practice. You just need belief. Can mm-hmm. you can you come together as a group? Can you fight for 90 minutes? And that was our MO. We, we fought, scratched. And to be honest with you, going into that Copa America, everybody kind of took us as a, ha ha, yeah, they got lucky in the World Cup. You know, Columbia didn't play great. So, I mean, it just goes to show even my, my second country, Argentina, came out with a B team, mm-hmm. you want to say, a B minus or A minus, whatever you want to go with. And they learned the hard way. We beat them, but it was there was a few that existed. There was a few different things. The hotel we were in had a huge glass, a glass window where people could go by and see us sitting in the lobby having coffee, and it looked like we were the hamsters in the, in the hotel. <laughs> you know, people would walk by and just stand in the mirror and look like this. You know, you're tapping the glass, mm-hmm. and uh, people were tapping the glass, and we're just sitting there because there was nowhere else in the hotel if we wanted to all hang out and have coffee. So it was a little bit of tapping the glass like you do with the goldfish. You know, you yeah. tap see what happens. That's what it kind of felt like at uh, Copa America 95. Uh-huh. Um, I know, I realize most people probably realize you were the U.S. team, but like, did people recognize you? Did they know names? Because, I mean, you, Alexi, there's some distinct figures that stand out in a crowd there. We had, if you remember that group, we had some pretty interesting characters. Start with, with Lexi. People knew who the golden boy was. That was Eric Winalda. Mm-hmm. Tab Ramo was Uruguayan. Uh, I was I was always Lexi's co-partner. But they knew me a little bit more because being Argentinian, they knew that there were Argentine Latin players on there. So it was uh, it was interesting. Kobe, Kobe, Kobe Jones. So mm-hmm. it was, uh, yeah. They, they After the 94 World Cup, people, I think, started realizing who we were. Mm-hmm. I want to, we've, I've never actually asked you about this. I asked Worldy about it because we were comparing, um, I was talking to him for media stuff and I was asking him about playing and how to do bicycle kicks. And I was comparing how you did bicycle kicks and how he did bicycle kicks. And the one joke he had is between the one that he had with the Rapids and the one that you had with the Rapids. Yours went in and yours was goal of the year. What do you remember about that play? What, what stands out from that day for you? Oh, I've told this story a hundred times. Um, to this day, the, actual live game that game i don't remember because i got knocked out in the first half and uh i couldn't tell you if the goal came in the first half or the second half um it was my best goal ever that i've scored and to be honest i do not remember it uh the story that was told to me that i got hit in the back of the head i got knocked out the trainer came over um and the trainer told me some of the story too i guess he asked me a few things I told him we were playing. It was Friday. We were winning two to one. I think it was zero zero at the time. And there was no concussion protocol. So mm-hmm. the rumor has it that he took me off the field and he says, you're done. I basically told him that if he took me off the field, that I would freaking kill him. And uh, I guess I said it in a way that made him a little nervous. So he decided to let me go back on the field and he would watch me. I said, great. 
So I played the rest of the game with a concussion. Uh, after the game was over, the doctor came to check me out, said, great goal. I said, what goal? I don't remember the goal. At that point, I didn't remember. They kept me um, in the locker room for a while. They took me to the training room. By the time I got back to my room, Ross Polly was my roommate. And Ross says, uh, your goal is uh, number one on ESPN Sports Center, play of the day. And I kind of looked at him and I said, what are you talking about? And he did just kind of pointed at the TV. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time I saw the goal that I scored. So my best goal was a concussion. It was a goal that I do not remember, but I've seen it a bunch of times on tape. But uh, I'll take it. Yeah. I've always dreamed of scoring a goal like that. Mm-hmm. I've watched Pele. Uh, enough times I've hurt myself many a times as a defender trying to do that in practice with Joe Max Moore we'd have competitions with the national team of who had the better bike Um, the only difference was I think I actually scored one (laughs) but uh, it was a it was a competition of who can hit a better bike and again who would have thought I went back and somebody sent me the clip of the world cup one Mm-hmm. And the English commentator, I think, was more shocked than anything that an American defender tried a bicycle kick in the World Cup. So, you know, it's uh, it's something as a kid that I've always wanted to do. I did it with the under-20s, and I scored against Canada. I did it in Gold Cup in, uh, in 91 against Trinidad to put the game winner away. And then I got lucky enough in, in I think it was 2000, right? 2000? Yes. Somewhere in there? Yeah, I don't remember that uh that i was able to score one so for a defender three bikes i'm okay i'm all right my dad always said i had the flair for scoring a crazy goal so okay um i've got maybe two uncomfortable questions to bring up so you know again i don't have conscious memories from watching these or anything but i'm curious um the two finals that you would have played in that the rapids ended up losing what do you remember about mls cup 97 because i feel like the only thing on the grainy tv coverage that's there is a lot of rain and then the drums it was difficult. It was difficult. We were um, we were the underdogs. No one gave us a chance. If you remember, we beat Kansas, who was the number one team in the West at that point. We had Dallas next, and uh, we went and got a result. And in Dallas, we got a result at home. Now we're in the final. The, the disappointing part is you play D.C. and D.C. I think if we would have played them anywhere else, we probably would have had a better chance. But playing in pouring rain, we were worried about our families because there was a blizzard back in Colorado. They couldn't get out. They arrived. Their families all arrived as soon as the game finished. Once the game finished, they arrived to the stadium, so they didn't get to see the game. But um, it was a difficult game. Difficult game. We made a few mistakes. Um, I remember Adrian Paz coming onto the game late. Paul Bravo pulled a hammy, I think he was, but we were surprised that Adrian Paz wasn't starting the game because of the year he had. And uh, it was just one of those things, man. It was it was um, eighth seed. I think we were the eighth seed. We win the West. And again, you go back to our team. We had a decent team. We had a decent team, but when you looked at when you look at DC United, you look at John Hart, Jeff Agus, Richie Williams, Tony Santa, and I'm sitting there going, okay, those are four four national team players. And you got Echeverry, the best player in the league, Moreno up front. It's like, okay, can you get any more national team players? But we hung in there. We, I think we did ourselves proud. It was disappointing. We got second place. Um, but I think we 
again, it made it difficult too, but there was a lot of rain. The game slowed down. Um, we couldn't get any kind of rhythm. And then Paz com- comes in and scores. And now we had a little bit of a fight to give, but it just wasn't enough at that point. And then the other one, I'll be honest with you, we went to Columbus. I believe it was the final was in Columbus. Yes. I was going to ask you, why were they neutral site open cup finals yeah, at that point? Neutral sites back then. So we went, I remember we went to Florida and played a game or two to get into a semifinal final. So, <laughs> um, no, we knew if you go back and watch that game, we knew exactly what they're going to do. We talked to Glenn, to Peter, Peter and I talked to, to Marinick, to Mooch Marinick, and we tried to say, we tried to convince them a little bit tactically that we should drop off because if you remember that team, they counted on you. They let everybody come and they counted on you quickly. And that's how they won most of their games. Well, we thought if we sat back, let them attack us, make them do things that they're not naturally wanting to do. And then we had the players to do it. You know, I, I I don't know how many chances we had to score. We Mm -hmm. had so many opportunities with Deli Valdez with Paul Bravo, we had our chances. And again, we pushed, 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 counter, and thanks for coming. We were the uh, first MLS team to uh, to lose a uh, Open Cup final. So uh, disappointing, disappointing. But uh, again, no one back in those days when we started in 96, no one gave us a chance to reach the finals in 97. Mm-hmm. Who would, When you talked about that group, no one ever brought up Colorado Rapids. Yeah. They didn't. It was normal. And when you talk about an open cup, um, even further back, because you're thinking, how is Colorado going to reach a final? And we reached a final. So, uh, listen, it didn't have the outcome we wanted to. But at that point, with that group of players, the dedication we had, training at Westminster, uh, our locker rooms were trailers, Mm -hmm. two trailers side by side. To do what we did under the circumstances we had, I think that was pretty damn good. Yeah, well, we did. it's unfortunate we couldn't get past that hump, but uh, you know I don't think there was a lot of teams besides us in Dallas because I remember I went and trained with Dallas for a few weeks. Um, we were the only two that had basically double wide trailers as our locker room and our showers. So uh, disappointing. It'd have been nice to have won a trophy, but um, very proud of what we were able to do back then with a very small with a small budget. Yeah, you know, I'm curious, you know, if you ask me right now, Cello, to name every single Western Conference USL championship team, I couldn't. But, you know, back then, there were a lot of guys who were in the, I believe this would have been the ASL that the Rhinos were in, question mark. Had Onstad, you want to go to Dwayne DiRosario, we can we can go back a few. Okay, well, I guess I'm wondering how much how much familiarity was there? Because, you know, first round open cup that you have MLS team versus USL team, there's very little familiarity or players that have played each other before. No, but we had VHS. We had mm. tapes, you know, back in the old days. There was ways. We saw some of their games. We okay. saw some of the games. And the one thing we all noticed was that they were a counterattacking team. They did a great job of sitting back, defending in their low block. And then with Dwayne DiRosario, Yariel, I think it was, they would just go. They would go. And, uh, and yeah, we, we, we knew it was coming. We just couldn't. If we would have put one away early, and I think Bravo hit the post, and Delhi had a chance, if we would have put one of those away, that tactically would have made them or had to eventually open up. And with the players we had at that point, we could have probably got a second one in there. 
but we did everything but put the ball in the back of the net. And the more the time went on, uh, 70th, 60th, I mean, you start as an MLS team, you started feeling the pressure. Mm-hmm. You have to go score. So you're pushing the pace, fell right into there what they wanted, and they, they got us. So it sucks, but at least we got there. We'll go with that. The positive is we got there. We just couldn't take that last step. Okay, I've got a bit of a weird question, and I can screen share if you want. So during COVID, um, for the podcast, we were bored and looking for content. So we did a whole like uh, seated bracket of like the best Rapids jersey ever. And in scouring Getty images, I found something from a photo shoot at Old Mile High of you wearing like a Kansas City blue Rapids shirt, white shorts oh, yeah, with white and red numbering. Fourth of, Fourth of July. Fourth of July. Okay. Yeah. That was that was a one-off Fourth of July uniform. We had blue. We wore, I think, it was a kappa red. Yes, red, white with the blue socks. Um, yeah, we we wore on on Fourth of July. We would wear a different jersey. Um, I kind of like the blue. I'm not gonna lie. I mm-hmm. liked it better than that forest green that that we had because it was kind of a it wasn't a bright green. It was kind of a dull. But I, I enjoyed the I enjoyed the red one that we wore okay. on Fourth of July. I enjoyed the uh, the blue one. So yeah, those those were pretty cool. You didn't like them? Um, no, I liked them. I just I couldn't find those are the only photos that I could find from them. Now, yeah. granted, finding something from Getty from the '90s for a, a you know MLS at the time was very very yeah. difficult. But it's just the scrolling through and trying to find every a, a picture of every single uniform yeah. the club had worn, and that was the only one that I could ever find. And I'm like, why is Marcelo Balboa doing a photo shoot with a jersey that I can't find proof they wore in a game? <laughs> So it was just, was that a normal, was that, did they do that multiple times? Is there, is there a random 96, uh, 4th of July game jersey that I don't know about? We were, no, 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 the first year I don't think so. It's when, I believe it's when we got into Kappa. Mm-hmm. Kappa started doing more of a one-off jersey. Um, so yeah, we would do those for, for 4th of July. The ones we all hated, and I didn't have to wear it, thank God, was that blue and black Inter Milan jersey. We never went, we never understood why. We went from green to a light blue or a blue and black uniform. That was never us. So we didn't understand that one, but we understood the 4th of July one. Um, 60,000 people at mile high, 50,000, I think 55,000 throughout the years that we were able to get people to, uh, to, to come see us play. Opportunity to open people's eyes about our sport. So I think the idea of dressing up in a red, white, and blue, some sort of festive thing kind of uh i think kind of engaged the fans a little bit yeah absolutely i wanted to get into some more topical stuff now i'm I'm always curious about the differences between sports broadcasting between english and spanish if we look at you know the play-by-play approach obviously the the british english and the american yeah. english have a very distinct style and spanish you know a ball goes out for a meaningless throw-in and andres contour is losing his mind <laughs> how are you as a color commentator different between doing it english language versus spanish it's it's difficult to compare and and i'll tell you why because when i do the rapids games i am the rapids broadcast so i've got to i can't play that over the top either way so i try to do a neutral broadcast okay but you always tend to lean a little bit towards the home team. It's normal. So when I do Univision, I can be critical. I can joke around a little bit and we have a little bit of fun. So it's just, there's not a lot of difference to be honest with. The only difference is, is again, uh, 
most of the time when I work for Univision, I'm doing the U.S. national team, so I can be a little bit more critical on both teams. Mm-hmm. So we joke mm-hmm. around a little bit more. Um, we have a little bit more freedom with altitude. I've got to. I've got to. Uh, and I, I, I always I put it this way: when I do altitude, I always try to get Richard to laugh. I always okay. try to get Richard to joke around. I always try to get Richard to to smile as I'm saying something or I'm cracking him a joke. So. We have a good time. There's not, I'd be honest with you, there's not a lot of difference the way I do a game. I am a firm believer that when you do a game, you do commentate for both teams. And you're critical on one side as much as you're critical on the other side. And I'll explain to you why. Because the fans nowadays are so knowledgeable about the game of soccer that if you try to cheat them and you try to fluff this here, they'll call you here. So why? Why do we as broadcasters have to lean one way? The, the the viewers are so intelligent. They're so soccer. They've studied or they've played it or they've been watching it. Or they've been watching the EPL for so many years. I think that uh, you don't want to cheat the fans. You want to give them the best experience possible. And that's doing a game fairly and doing the game honestly. And that's what I try to do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And now that criticism, instead of maybe coming on the radio or maybe in person now, you're getting that in real time on Twitter. You know, I tell you what, the biggest criticism I get, and I, I, I'm not sure how to take it sometimes, is when I started, even now, I've got a tweet, I don't know, it was like a year ago, you know nothing about soccer. <laughs> and I'm like, I've played in three World Cups, I played in Liga Mekis, I played in MLS, I played in Greece for Olympiacos, and I'm thinking to myself, you've never played in England. <laughs> I sat there going, that's your argument. I don't know soccer. I coach it. I've been with the under 20 national team. I'm sitting there in the 16s. I'm sitting there myself going, I've been, I go to Rapids practices. I've gone to see Brazil, Argentina. I've seen Mexico train. I've seen Costa Rica. I'm sitting there going, man, I've seen some of the best teams in the world training and picked up things, but I don't know soccer because I didn't play in England. So that one, that one always baffled me that I just, Mm -hmm. I'm like, Messi doesn't know soccer than either, either apparently. Me have a little credibility, but no, it, uh, there's always one or two that did beat me up on that. So it's okay. (laughs) Okay. Then, um, the sign off that you and Richard had on Sunday was really poignant. At least the conversation I had with him kind of, you know, it definitely implies that obviously you guys have built a friendship. And I think um, your initial introduction to each other, maybe Richard had some work to do on that and kind of his different cultural background and everything. You know, tell me about kind of the relationship that you guys have built, building rapport both on camera, but then ultimately, you know, friendships that I assume even if Richard moves halfway around the world is still going to be present. Yeah, 100%. Listen. When Richard came in, I wasn't sure about Richard. I didn't know who Richard was. You know, we heard that he was coming from from Arsenal Radio. And uh, I remember the first day in the studio, he starts in with match day two. And I'm like, and I finally looked at him like, dude, this isn't Champions League. I'm like, this is MLS. We got 30 some odd games to go. So, um, no, listen, from day one, we got along really well. Um, I think we figured out our strengths and weaknesses early. I think that's what made us a good team. Um, Richard never stepped on my toes. I never stepped on his. I knew exactly that Richard knew the game. I knew that Richard would lead me in the right direction. Um, I'm a firm believer that the analyst is the co-pilot. You know what I mean? The pilot and the guy that runs 
and or the, the, the runs the ship or the flies the plane is Richard. He's the play-by-play guy. He's going to lead you. You're going to hear his voice. It's important for me to know to when to jump in, when to not jump in. And I think that took a little time. Like always, it takes a little time to understand each other's tendencies. But from day one, uh, we got along great. Uh, he's a stats guy. He loves his stats, and I always bust his chops on that. Mm-hmm. So he'd always throw random thoughts in there and random stats. But uh, listen, as years go on, our, our families got to know each other. We got to know each other. And, uh, and you can see the friendship we have now. We play footy. We play, uh, we play over 48s on Sunday together. We, we had family dinners the other night. I uh, went to his house after the last broadcast. So, listen, it's unfortunate that, uh, that we won't work together. That's just reality. Um, but, uh, I mean, when you find a friendship guy you get along with, you understand, um, the important thing is your friends. You, mm-hmm. you still communicate. So the thing that came out of it for me was friendship. And I don't let a lot of people in. I'm pretty closed off. So to have a friend like Richard and his family, it, it's been a blessing for me. So again, we're still going to be friends. We're still going to chat. I'm sure there's, listen, people keep saying, and we've talked about this. I, 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 I said goodbye from Altitude TV because there's no more local TV. Altitude will not be covering the Rapids next year. Apple TV has taken over the whole league, which is awesome. We're all sitting here waiting. Hopefully in the next month, we'll probably find out if we have an opportunity to continue uh, doing MLS or not. But uh, at the end of the day, a friendship is more important than a job. And I'm very lucky to have a good friendship and a good friend in Richard. Mm-hmm. I always I, I look at former players and kind of wonder what they want to do after the game. And obviously you and most of the play, players from your generation have stayed involved in the game in some regard. And, you know, I can look at it and I could see probably, you know, Jack Price loves being around the game. He loves being a leader. I could see him being molded into maybe a coach. I'm not sure there's an obvious person that you disagree. Jack, this, Jack wants to be a mailman. Jack wants to be a mailman. Ask Richard. We asked him one day and he broke out. He wanted to be a postal worker. So. In the, U- I know. in the U.S. or going back thing. to England? And, okay. I said the same thing. When he didn't play those, those few games when he was injured, I'm like, so what's it like? Are you missing it? Can you see yourself being a coach? And he just kind of said, Richard's like, he told me he wanted to be a postal worker. So there you go. Or a bus driver, I think. One of the two it was. So. Okay. Um, I don't think we think about what our careers are going to be like. <clears throat> I never thought to myself that – I would be a broadcaster. The reason I got into broadcasting is because JP Della camera was interviewing me a little bit and here and there. And it was like two years before I retired. He said to me, you should think about being a broadcaster. And I just kind of shoved him off. Like, and JP's a good friend. He inducted me into the, uh, into the U S soccer hall of fame. And I just kind of brushed him off. Said, I'm going to keep playing. And then again, the next year, he's like, you really should think about trying broadcasting and see if you like it. So when I retired, if you remember, Mark Cuban had a company called HDNet. So HDNet was the first high-definition broadcast that the MLS had. They had their high-definition with Mark Cuban. And uh, I decided, they came to me and I said, no, because it was, it was out of Denver, HDNet. So it was like a week before the first game. They're like, can you just come try and see if you like it? And I'm like, sure. I sat down in the booth. This was the instructions I got. Here's your TV, your monitor. You'll get replays there. Just talk about the replays. If you want to talk to me, push that button, talk. And if you got a cough, push the cough button. 
go do a game. That was my instructions. So JP Delacamera is the one that pushed me into being a broadcaster. Okay, but then so I guess the so I'm what there's very few players at least that I've seen that have gotten to have their cake and eat it too in terms of doing both media and doing coaching. And granted, you're doing that at the academy level. And I'm wondering how you've liked balancing that. Um, I think when it's difficult at times because sometimes we travel. Like I missed the trip two weeks ago to Houston, but the week before that. I did a Friday, get this, I did a Friday U.S. national team against Japan. I mm-hmm. hopped on a plane, went to Dallas, coached my group against FC Dallas and Solar, got back on a plane on Sunday, and flew all the way back to Miami to do USA Saudi Arabia. So um, I love what I do, man. I, I, I got to be honest with you. I have i don't know a lot of former national team players, uh, World Cup players, whatever you want to go with who enjoys coaching. I've been coaching the U14s for the last seven years, and it is absolutely fantastic. It keeps me in the game. It forces me to stay modern as a coach and staying modern as a coach, watching practices, developing practices. Now I'm looking at tactical ways of how to break teams down, which you do on TV. Um, I come home, I watch probably two games probably Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, leading into into a Rapids game. So if we're playing FC Dallas, I've already seen two games of Dallas before we get to Saturday's game. I watch the Rapids last game, and then I go back and try to watch a similar game that will play like FC Dallas. So, um, yeah, man, I, I can't um, – I couldn't be happier. Um, I've worked hard. Mm-hmm. I think that's what people don't get. Sometimes you work hard, man. You're you're out there putting lesson plans together for kids. You're coaching. You're you're trying to develop kids not just to be soccer players. You're trying to develop them to be good people, to be honest people, hardworking people in life. Because not everybody's going to make it as a soccer player. So, um, man, I, I've been I've been lucky. Um, we'll see how long it goes. You know, what I mean, who knows? But for right now. Um, I, I couldn't be a blessed, uh, more blessed man than what I get to do. Mm-hmm. How are the U14s doing? Any names I should keep my eye out on? Um, listen, um, how do I say this night? No, um, we have a good group. We have a good group. Um, over the last seven years, I've been blessed enough to have a Darren Yappy. I've had a Sebi Anderson. I've had an Abraham. Um, Rodriguez. Um, I had Cole Bassett with the 19s. So um, Yappy was a player of mine on the U14s. So I've been lucky enough to be able to see all these kids develop and grow and sign homegrown contracts. And brother, it makes my heart so happy to see these kids being able to live a dream, a passion that we all have to be able to play sports, to do something you love to do and to make a living out of it. So uh, I look forward to one day taking my grandkids so they can see Yappy play and see what he can do. We've got a few now that uh, last year's group, my U15s last year, lost one game. So we basically won the Frontier. We won the Frontier Conference. Uh, This year, I've got a good, hardworking group with some players that have potential. At 14, if you could – we don't have a, a messy that sticks out like that. Mm-hmm. But we have kids that will work hard, and there's one or two I would think maybe have that 
maybe have that slight edge that could, uh, if they keep developing and they keep working hard, that could maybe potentially push um, the Rapids to think about what possibly what their future looks like. Okay, good stuff. Politically correct? Uh, <clears throat> yes, politically okay. correct. Okay. Um, we've talked off and on about hiking, which is something that you've gotten into in your playing retirement. Um, yes. How's that going? How's the camper? Any big hikes that you've done that you want to tell me about? I've, uh, I've, I've unfortunately this year with all the work, I got COVID a few weeks ago. It kind of put a, a damp in my, in my hiking. So my lungs were a little, uh, we're struggling a little bit. I mean, I got effed up pretty good, man. I, uh, I got ended up getting, uh, vertigo. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't leave the house for like eight days cause I just couldn't. So, um, I took one today. I went into golden yesterday, went up to, to, uh, to, uh, Nemedy or some of the things, Nemedy and Boulder that was four miles up a hill. So, um, you know what it is, is life's short, bro. You know what I mean? And uh, and I just need a little bit of peace of quiet to myself sometimes. And when I'm able to to find that peace and you walk, it just makes the day better. No matter what happens, you, you can just find that that place in your heart and your mind where you can just relax. And, uh, and that's what I did when I got Coda. You know, I was looking and looking and looking. And uh, I looked at a website and I got back from my adult league game. And my phone, I was looking at my phone and this website popped up and it was, and I remember what the dog's name, it was like Bruno. And it was a picture of Coda and, uh, called the lady, never heard back. And then Monday there's a call. And next thing you know, she's like, well, I got three laps. If you want to come look at one, I'm like, sure. Okay. So I had to drive all the way to Pueblo, all the way to Pueblo. Um, three dogs were there. Three dogs played around. One was really thin. Coda was the one in the middle. And the dogs, and I knew it was it was my dog. And I, I was I've always been looking for a companion to go with me. Because I need someone to go with me in the mountains for, you know, to be able to have that just that little bit of joy. And uh and I he sat there, the two other dogs were scratching at the door. He was just sitting there. So he ate finally and he came walking over to me and I picked him up. And when I picked him up, he took this deep breath and he just sank into my arm. And I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> and I looked at the lady. She goes, I think your dog found you. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so I, as soon as that happened, man, you know, you just have a connection. Mm-hmm. You just feel, man. I think his first, very first picture I took, um, he's got a smile, man. He is literally smiling when we took our first picture. So uh, he uh, he makes the hikes better. He makes them enjoyable, and uh, it's just me time, man. I just need sometimes a little bit of, of peace and quiet, and that's where I find it, man. So that's no. why that's why I do my hikes. Absolutely, I've, I've noticed. I think that's that's a theme that I think most people who are into yeah. it certainly. So I I would agree with you on that. Well, um, if you need a companion in case uh, to help walk the dog. You let me know, though. Uh, we'll be driving a little bit to get the difference between <laughs> us. But um, uh, so. A few kind of rapid fire things here. Yeah. Um, do you have a favorite Rapids player or coach, not in terms of how they did their job, but in interacting with them in a media context? That I played with? Uh, let's do played with and then covered. How about that? Um, Rapids coach. Um, you know, it's it, that's a difficult one because there's been so many. 
I would say between Robin and Anthony Hudson, once I got to know Anthony Hudson and he got to know me, um, to this day, I still talk to Anthony Hudson. He covers the national team. I see him with Univision and we have a very good friendship. Um, Robin has been, I think, the one guy when you look at this club over the history of it that has been able to be very direct. Um, very organized and clear in his messages of what he wants to do and how he wants to get it done. So I would, I would think those two from what I've seen covering, covering Robin and covering Anthony Hudson, even though Anthony unfortunately didn't, it didn't pan out for him well, you know, but, uh, but just the report we had of being able to talk soccer and, and just talk about players and things that were going on. It was, those two would probably be the ones that really stood out to me. Mm -hmm. What about players? Any ones that were particularly fun from a media standpoint? Um, you know, I, I'll be honest with you. When I, when I broadcast, I try not to be friends with the players only because it's, it's difficult to be, have a friendship with them and then be critical of what they're doing. Um, I think all the players have been great. Jack Price is probably one of the funniest guys. He always comes over and says hello. Uh, William Yarbrough, I have a great rapport with William because we both played at Leon. We speak Spanish. So I think Diego Rubio hates me at times, but then he likes me at times. <laughs> you know, I hate a relationship with Diego. You know, I call him out when he takes a dive, but I give him a lot of love when he has 16 goals in a season and called him MVP. So, you know, it's it's difficult. I try like I said, I try to keep my distance. I'm on the other side of the fence. I sit on the bench. I watch practice, and I just leave players alone. But uh, you always have a, a, a nice rapport with the guys that have come up through the academy system. The Ali Larazes, we have a good uh, – I love Ali. He played for me too. So, um, like I said, it's, it's, it's a difficult one. I just – I'm a, I'm a very, hey, what's up, guys? What's going on? But I keep my distance because I, I love my job. And if I have to do it right, you have to be critical. And sometimes when you're friends with people and you're critical, they get upset with you. Mm -hmm. So I'm very friendly to everybody. But I, I, I like my job. I like being able to be honest with people when I do TV. Mm -hmm. How do you go about maintaining that when it's a homegrown that you coached? Um, I've been blessed enough that uh, none of the homegrowns have sucked so far. <laughs> So I haven't had that great. <laughs> <clears throat> you know, no, it's it's difficult because uh, I think if you look, Sammy Vines has been pretty consistent. Uh, Cole was pretty consistent when he played for the Rabbits. I haven't really had to be overly critical yet with any of the homegrowns. So, um, and I don't have to anymore. So, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> good. Unless I get an Apple job, then we'll have we'll have this discussion uh, later on. But as of now, you know what? I've been lucky enough that uh, all the homegrowns have, have have pretty good seasons. Mm -hmm. You've kind of alluded to it with what we're talking about, what you're doing now. But the last big question I have for you, well, I guess there's two, but um, yeah. kind of what's coming up next? And is it going to just be more coaching the Rapids and more Spanish language covering MLS next year? You know, I don't know if Univision yet has MLS yet or U.S. national team. We're waiting to see what happens with those contracts. Um, I don't know what my future holds. Um, and that's okay. Um, it's reality. You know, I, I love coaching my 14s. Um, we'll see where that goes. Uh, I'm a firm believer 
that in life, if you're treated properly and well, you just kind of move on through life and you keep moving. So right now, um, we'll see. You know, we'll all, we're all waiting. All the broadcasters in, in MLS who have been wonderful, one, done a wonderful job covering all of the MLS teams. Uh, they're all fighting for the same jobs, 12 in English, 12 in Spanish, and I think uh, in Portuguese. So we're all waiting to see what happens there. Um, you know, we'll see what happens with Univision. We don't know yet. So mm-hmm. I know I have my U14 boys. We'll see where that goes. And uh, we'll, uh, you know what, when when God closes one door, he opens another one for you. Mm-hmm. You just have to be willing to step through it. So right now I'm going to wait and see what doors open, what doors close. And then I will make a decision that will make sure that it puts a smile on my face, that I enjoy what I do, that I have passion behind it. Um, I can't do a job just to do a job. So um, I'll wait and see. You know what I mean? I think there's a few months down the road. I've got all the way up until November 5th. Uh, that's when the MLS Cup final. I'll cover that for Univision. Mm-hmm. I'll cover the World Cup for Univision, Televisa, and Mexico. So I'll be doing that, doing programs for them, and then uh, take a well-needed break and uh, regroup and uh, figure out what's going to start uh, January 1. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite Rapids moment that you've called? That I've called? In the broadcast, yeah, from a broadcast standpoint. God, that's probably a question for Richard, man. Yeah. Uh, my memory sucks. Okay. From all the concussions and this and that. My, we talked about it the other day. Um, favorite moments was probably for me the the L.A. game uh, with Tim Howard saves. I think it was Jeff Lorenowitz, PK. Mm-hmm. Um, there was just something about that game, that feel. It felt a little European. It was in the afternoon. The sun was coming down. It just felt it, it was the sun was already somewhat gone. It was it was sh- casting a shadow on the stadium. There was just something magical about that day that just felt really cool. You know what I mean? The gashy goal against LA that he hits a bomb from I think 35 yards. Um, though those were things that just kind of stick out in my mind. Um, I hate remembering the freaking days where it was 22 degrees and we're all sitting there freezing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Those kind of things. I think the Chris Henderson goal, um, the bicycle kick, I think it was against Dallas to get us into the final. Um, games like that, things like that are team oriented. You know what I mean? Not individual. Mm-hmm. But I mean, we have great moments as individuals, but it, it doesn't compare to to a team and what a team can do. And that that was special. Those, those games were special. Just had special feelings to to those games you know Mm -hmm. yeah um who wins mls cup you know i would like to say that it always the stigma of being supporter shield winners i think only seven or eight have reached the final throughout the whole history of the league I just don't know how LAFC right now with the depth they have. Um, when sometimes you start bell off the bench, it's like, really? You know, when you've got guys like Ilya Sanchez, Acosta, you're looking at just such quality, Arango. It's like, okay, how many more Gareth Bale? How many more can you, Apoku? I mean, it's like, oh my Lord. But um, 
there's always a surprise. Who will that surprise be? Could it be Miami? Miami kind of caught fire towards the end. Could it be the LA Galaxy? I will tell you this, the team that worries me right now is the way the LA Galaxy have kind of caught fire towards the end of the year. They've got a little bit of that belief. Uh, they make me nervous. But I think this could be one of those times where we see an LAFC-Philadelphia final. Mm-hmm. I do. But the dark horse for me is Montreal. I think Montreal can surprise a lot of people in the East. But I don't, I don't think this year you can honestly say there's a clear cut. Like, okay, this guy's going to reach the final. I think we could say NYC last year. But who would have picked Portland? Besides the Portland fans. Who would have picked Portland to reach that final? I wouldn't have. No. I wouldn't have. And they came in here and surprised Colorado. They did a lot of things. So who I'll ask you, who's your who's your who's your league winner and who's your dark horse? I, I want it to be Philly so bad. I think the I, I'm covering so I'm covering this uh cello from a a media standpoint of what yeah. I think the best story is. I think Philly winning MLS Cup would be the best story for Miami. the league. Miami would probably be the best story. Iguain retiring, what they've done, <clears throat> struggling. They picked it up towards the end of the year. So I'm with you. I could, I could see that. Yeah. Okay. Um, I would put – so I would put L.A., Austin, and Philly as my favorite. So if we're saying dark horses in, in the yeah. next year, I would put Montreal. I think similarly okay. – I feel like Montreal is similar to the vibe around the Rapids last year and is yep. maybe where Philly would have been in the playoffs two to three years ago. So um, I think Philly could have reached the final last year if they didn't get that bout with COVID. That, mm-hmm. I think it took eight starters out, six starters. Yeah, they basically – it was it was yeah. Bethlehem Steel took yeah. NYCFC to extra time, which yep, is insane. Exactly. Uh, who wins the World Cup, and what do you think of the U.S. going into the World Cup? Um, wow, I think the ML- I mean, sorry, the uh, the World Cup is a crapshoot right now. I, I if Brazil comes with any sort of, I don't even know what you can say. If you you look for position for position, tell me where Brazil has a weakness. Third string goalkeeper, maybe. Maybe that's, I mean, if you look at that starting 11, you're just like, holy cow. You know, the fact that Argentina beat them in Copa America final, it was like, it was, I think everybody was surprised. I think it was just Messi's year. I would think Brazil right now, depending on if everybody stays healthy. Um, I would think that when you look at England, even though they've struggled a little bit lately, getting into Nations League B now, um, if they turn it on, how do you stop such a young team with so much experience? Um, I think you can look at Belgium. I think you can look at Argentina. If you look at that second tier, Argentina, Belgium, France, anybody who catches fire at this point could win that. But I think when you go into this, you've got to look at Brazil as the favorites. For the U.S., um, how healthy will they be? That's going to be the question, you know. Uh, Musa just started playing again, which is great news. Christian Pulisic is getting minutes, and he's he's killing it finally. He's getting an opportunity. So who's going to be the starting goalkeeper right now? You've got to go with Matt Turner. Mm-hmm. Who's going to be Who's going to be Walker Zimmerman's partner alongside? But if you look at that group, Walker Zimmerman and, and that group did not play well. Their passing was very loose. They were not sharp. So. Um, you know, I, I would think Gio Reyna, again, getting hurt. If they can stay healthy, I think this is a team that can that can get out of the group. I think they can at least reach a quarterfinal. I mm-hmm. think they have that much speed. Um, the only thing, again, is 
Most teams that win a World Cup have a natural goal scorer, a nine, a killer, a guy that puts the ball in the back of the net. We have a young man who's very good in Ferreira who will do a good job defending first and then attacking. So I, I would think if everybody's healthy, this is a team that can get out of its group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to believe that too. And I think, honestly, I think it comes down to the Wales game. I think whoever wins that is, I feel like that's going to be similar almost to the Ghana game in 2014, where whoever gets the result or feels like they have the momentum out of that, there's belief. And whoever falls down feels like they've got that much more of a, that much taller of a hill to climb. Yeah. We'll exactly. see. You need, you need to get a result. And I'm sure is, is a point a result is a point good enough against Wales. Depends on their performance. That's that's, yeah. Yeah, and it, it, the performance doesn't matter. Yeah, the performance in a World Cup doesn't matter. It's getting a result because you could play some. Be- I've seen teams, Brazil, Argentina, destroy teams, and they lose one nothing. Mm-hmm. I think at that point, can you score? Can you hold that lead? And can you can you find a way to take three points in that first game? The worst case scenario, you tie, and you live to fight another day. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So a tie against England, I'll take it right now. Know, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. A lot of people will say, I'll sign that contract right now if you're telling me we're going to tie England. Okay. I'm like, if that's if that's, if that's that's as good as we want to get, okay. I'm all right. You know, it is what it is. The important thing is you got to find a win in one of those three games. Is it Wales? Is it Iran? Is it England? You've got to find, listen, in 94, no one thought. We looked at, okay, if we can tie or beat Switzerland, then we can beat Romania, then we've got our points. We ended up beating Colombia, which no one gave us a chance, and we got out of the group. So you've got to find a way to win one game out of that group. And if you can tie here or there, you get enough points to get out, you're out. So I think that they – I think this is going to be a group that makes me a little nervous. And only because if Yedlin does not start, there will be 11 players in their very first World Cup game against Wales. Mm -hmm. That's not easy. That's not easy. So, again, tactically, I think you look at that. Is Are the tactics right? The way we're playing, is that okay? You know what I mean? Japan showed us that if they press us, we struggled a little bit. So are other teams, teams going to go back and look at those tactics and see what Japan did to make the U.S. uncomfortable? And will they do the same thing? So, remember, the players aren't the only ones that are fighting for a job right now. Greg Berthalter is fighting for a job. Mm-hmm. Does he want to stay? Does he want to go to Europe? You know what I mean? I think he can get an MLS job. But I'm going to guess his his goal is a little higher than that. And he's probably going to want to coach in Europe. So people will be watching what he can do in the World Cup. Mm-hmm. All right. Greg's looking for a job. And shall I look forward to hearing what you're doing next with your job? So I think that's a, a good place for us to end it here. Man, I, I've I've loved getting to know you through covering the team and everything. And every single one of our interactions has been so awesome. And even though you're a world cup and a rapids legend you've never talked down to me or been patronizing just because i'm a nerd with internet access and so this is a conversation that i wanted to have for a long time and getting to have it given the timing was wonderful so just i want to say thank you and i i can't wait for our next interaction no buddy listen um where we're people doesn't matter where i've played or what i've done in my career when you've done your career we both have a mutual love for what we do we have a passion for soccer and uh, it's been great getting to know you. It's been fun talking Barcelona, Real Madrid sometimes with you. <laughs> so the, the friendships that we develop through broadcaster, players, 
are things that are more special sometimes in the job we do. So um, it's been, we've been all been blessed to be able to get to know each other. And you know what? I'm sure you'll be seeing me in the Rapids media booth watching a game or two if I don't work on a weekend or coaching the academy outside. So uh, it's been it's been fun. It's been fun doing your podcast, and it's been fun getting to know you, my friend. All right. Well, in the words of your co-host, then, uh, Cello, till next time, I suppose. Bye for now. <laughs>